0: I'd like to make a suggestion with regard to uh, summertime garb, since uh, in the summer our schedules are more relaxed and we're sort of in and out, and Sunday morning is a more relaxed time. I'd like to suggest that you men no longer wear coats and ties on Sunday morning, and then I won't have to. <laughs> I'm convinced that uh, one reason women live longer than men is that we men are slowly strangling ourselves together with these uh, with these pieces of cloth around her neck. I said that this morning, and some young lady came up and said, Have you ever worn pantyhose? <laughs> I have to confess that I never have, although Joe Namath has, I guess. But I, uh, I have another confession I have to make. This is something that you would probably do not believe, because most of you don't know me very well. But uh, I have a very short fuse. I am very high-tempered. Now, most of you don't know that because I hardly ever blow my stack up here in, in public. <laughs> but it's true. I, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I used to used to blow frequently and vent my anger on anything that happened to be uh, in the way. Uh, dogs, cats, cows, horses, pigs, uh, roller skates, uh, skateboards, bicycles, automobiles. I have punched my fist through more doors and walls than most of you have in your houses, and uh, it's just one of those things that stays with you. I I am a very high-tempered, volatile person. I bet you didn't know that, did you? It's true. And uh, it's been a problem that I've struggled with all of my life. And that's why this morning I would like to talk about anger. Not because I'm mad at anybody, I'm not this morning, but... uh, (laughs) It's something that I have struggled with all of my life, and in uh, the counseling I do with men and uh, the relationships I've developed with some of you men over the years, I've discovered that many of you have the same problem, and you women too. So uh, we need to, to look at that particular problem from the standpoint the standpoint of God's Word. Uh, would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? First chapter, first page of the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Now, let me say something uh, by way of introduction to this subject, because what I have to say now will probably color your thinking throughout the rest of, uh, of our study. Uh, Satan does not create anything. He does not invent sin. When we talk about original sin, we don't mean that that Satan has thought up any original ways to sin. We simply mean that we're sinful in our origins. Satan is not inventive uh, or uh, innovative. What he does is take the good things of God and twist them and distort them. Now, that's true of almost every vice. I uh, One of my uh, free time pastimes is to try to think through... Things that in and of themselves are wrong. And I have not come up with anything yet in my own mind that of itself is wrong. Uh, For example, ambition is not wrong in and of itself. There's a selfish ambition if we're looking out for ourselves and we want power and prestige and money. That's selfish ambition and that's wrong. That's a distortion of the concept of ambition. But the Bible talks a lot about being ambitious for God and ambitious for personal righteousness Seeking first his kingdom, and we pray, your kingdom come. That's being ambitious, that God bring his kingdom to earth. So nothing wrong with ambition, per se. Uh, certainly there's nothing wrong with sex, per se. It's simply that we put it to the wrong purpose. We, we enjoy it in the wrong situations. And there's nothing wrong with anger. God gets angry. Romans 1 says that uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth through their unrighteousness. God gets very angry uh, when, when people sin because he knows what sin will do to them. He gets angry when people suppress the truth so that others can't hear it. Jesus got uh, angry. He was angry when the, the Jews of his day were misusing the temple. It was intended to be a place of prayer, a place where Gentiles could come and find God, and they were turning off the Gentiles by their behavior, and he became very angry. Uh, Mark 3 says that Jesus was uh, angry when they brought this uh, dear crippled man, poor fellow who had never walked to Jesus on the Sabbath, just to trip him up. They didn't care about the man. They wanted to see if he'd heal him on the Sabbath. The NIV says that he was greatly distressed, but they're softening the the force of the words he got angry very angry there are things we ought to be angry about we ought to get angry when children are sexually abused we ought to be angry when women are battered we ought to be angry that millions of little human beings are murdered in their mother's womb across the United States and around the world that ought, you know, there, there is a moral outrage that we ought to feel at things like that and if we don't get angry there's something wrong with us But there's another kind of angry, and this is Satan's deft twist to the whole thing. He makes us angry because our own rights are being taken away, or we're being defrauded in in some way, or we're being frustrated or thwarted in our pursuit of pleasure. That's where anger comes from. We want something very much, very pleasurable, and we pursue it. Someone frustrates us, so we get mad. That kind of anger is the sort of anger that we want to talk about uh, this morning. Now let's look at the book of Proverbs. Uh, I'm going to be tracing a number of themes through Proverbs in the weeks to come, and so it would be good to, to lay down some foundation for our thinking, and therefore I want to read through the prologue to the entire book of Proverbs so that you understand some of the other things I'm going to say about, uh, about these themes. And I'll begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Uh, Solomon wrote many of the psalms. He collected more of the psalms. He didn't write them all. They're, they're not all in this. Uh, not all the psalms in this collection are his, but he he is responsible for most of them. He certainly made the most illustrative uh, contribution to the to the uh, book of Proverbs. Did I say psalms? I'm sorry, Proverbs. This is going to be one of those mornings I can tell. Proverbs. We're talking about Proverbs. Now, uh, the Proverbs are are proverbs, that's all. They're pithy ways of stating truth, terse statements of truth, truisms, maxims. Uh, We have them in English. Uh, Stitch in time saves nine, it's a proverb. A bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Look before you leap, those are all all proverbs. A rolling stone gathers no moss, which, by the way, is a very old proverb that goes back uh, way before Jesus' time. Uh, it's an ancient proverb. And a lot of these old sayings have been incorporated into, uh, into our thinking. Uh, Murphy's Law is a proverb. If anything can go wrong, it probably will. The Peter Principle is a proverb. A lot of uh, the so-called laws today that we talk about are really proverbs. I've made a hobby of collecting some of these. Uh, objects are lost because people look for them where they are not instead of where they are. That's a <laughs> proverb. Uh, Jones' rule of the road. The easiest way to fold a map is differently. Uh, Anthony's law. Any part, any automobile part when dropped will roll to the exact geometrical center of the vehicle. Kelly's Law, Nice Guys Never Finish Nice. And this is my favorite, Captain Penny's Law. You can fool all the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool Mom. (laughs) Now, those are Proverbs, and uh, that's the sort of thing that, that, that we'll discover in the book of Proverbs. They're generalizations, general statements. About life. Now let's look at the rest of this uh, prologue. The purpose and theme of the book. It is for attaining wisdom and discipline. The point of view that the book of Proverbs takes is that we are morally wayward when we come into the world. We we are self-centered creatures when we're born, and that waywardness needs to be quelled. If it's not disciplined, uh, it will uh, it will result in our producing havoc in our own life and in the lives of others. So the purpose of the book is to discipline us and to help us attain wisdom. Our skill is the word, the Hebrew word. It means skill at life, the capacity to make your way through life productively and successfully without destroying yourself. The, uh, the book has to do with the skill of living life with beauty and grace so that when you're finished, you will have done something worthwhile. Then from the student's viewpoint in verse 3, it is for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. The word prudent means successful, and that success is spelled out in the next line of the uh, proverb, doing what is right and just and fair. Success in the book of Proverbs is not making a great deal of money or acquiring power or prestige. It is rather living righteously, living a, a good life, doing what is right and just and fair. And then from the teacher's viewpoint in verse 4, it gives prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the, to the young. Those that are not equipped for life, those that are naive about life, are trained by the book, and it is available to the youngest and the most inexperienced. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. In other words, uh, wise men keep on uh, gaining in wisdom from this book. The wiser you are, the wiser you get. That's the point. The more you give yourself to know the wisdom in this book, the, more, uh, the wiser, the more discerning you will become. And it is for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. In other words, it not only gives you moral awareness, it will make you mentally alert. Now, that's not usually s- stated about the Proverbs, but that is one purpose of the Proverbs. It will train you so that you think clearly, you think insightfully. That's why it's good to read through this book. It will teach you how to think. Uh, This is very much unlike other Eastern wisdom. If you've done any reading in Eastern thought, you know how obscure and uh, almost absurd it is. In fact, some of it is downright absurd. I I can remember back in the 60s when Zen Buddhism was the thing on the campuses. A guru would come to the campus and he'd... he'd, uh, lecture in a fraternity or a dormitory and I often would sit in on their talks and uh, the guru would sit on the floor in his saffron robe with his legs crossed and the students would be sitting around listening to him and he would say uh, ah wisdom is the sound of one hand clapping and everybody would say wow that's heavy man no it isn't heavy it isn't profound it's absurd <laughs> nobody knows what he means not even the guru it's nonsense and uh, that's the kind of thing that very uh, that you know, is associated with Eastern thought but actually Eastern thought biblical Eastern thought is very direct very simple very easy to understand it's not obscure it's not obtuse it's, it's, it's remarkable in it's clarity anyone can understand it that's the point he's making the youngest, the most inexperienced, the most untutored person in the world can read this book and wise up. They can learn to live life uh, with skill and with discretion. It will give them steerage, he says, through life. It will keep you from cracking up on the rocks. It will be a guide to you, a pilot to you through, through life. And then uh, the theme of the book, the thesis statement is verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This is an example of Hebrew poetry. Parallelism in Hebrew poetry. The uh, the Hebrews, in fact, all Semitic people don't use assonance in their poems. They don't rhyme sounds. They rhyme ideas, and that's what you have in this. In, in most of the proverbs, here's a clear example of it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, and then he turns the statement around the opposite direction in a contrastive way and says, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And this helps us to see what he means by a fool. Uh, there are many words for fool in, in the book of Proverbs. There is the word simple that's translated earlier here as simple in the NIV. Petit is the Hebrew word. That's the naive, untutored person. That's the kid that comes to work for you and you send him off for a left-handed monkey wrench. Or an electric hammer, uh, or a sky hook, or something like that. Uh, a two by four extender. Uh, doesn't know any better. Randy uh, just got out of the Marines, you know, three weeks ago, and he was telling us that uh, when when kids would get out of boot camp and show up at their first assignment, they would point out some officer about a thousand meters away and they'd say, "Go up there and get an ST1, and as a matter of fact, get two ST1s." So the kid would run all the way up there, and when he'd get there, the officer would hand him two great big rocks, because an S T one is a stone, S-T-O-N-E. Or they'd send them after a T-R-E-E, which is a tree, of course. And those are the sort of things that you do to people that are naive. Those are the kids you send on snipe hunts, you know. You you give them a bag, and you take them out in the woods, and you say, you stay there, and we'll go run the snipes into your bag. And then you go home and go to bed, and the poor kid stands out all night with his bag waiting for the snipes. That's a simple person. He has a problem of just not knowing much. He's untutored. But there's another word for fool, and this is the word that's used here in verse 7. It's the word evil or avil in Hebrew, that means... uh, Uh, A despiser, someone who has rejected the truth, he has a moral problem. It's not a mental issue at all. He's morally off. And you can see it in the parallelism here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, but a fool despises. See, the the fool is the opposite of someone who fears the Lord. Now, someone who fears the Lord is not someone who is anxious or uptight about his relationship to God. He doesn't approach God the way Dorothy approached uh, the Wizard of Oz. He approaches him with reverence and with awe and with respect and with honor. He submits to God. That's the. This is the Old Testament word for worship. The fear of the Lord. Worship, devotion, adoration, submission. It's the beginning of knowledge. When you submit to God, then he begins to teach you how to live life. That's the point. But the fool doesn't listen. No, he doesn't listen. Now, bear that in mind because we're going to run across the fool a number of times in these... Uh, Proverbs that we want to look at this morning. Now, will you turn, please, to chapter 12, Proverbs 12, verse 16. Proverbs 12:16. A fool. Now, that's not the petit. That's not the uh, naive young man. That's the despiser. The one who rejects the knowledge of God. Who will not submit to God's word. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man... Uh, The word means crafty. It's the same word that's used in uh, Genesis 3, 1 of the serpent. The serpent was craftier. He was wiser than any of the other uh, creatures. The crafty man, the cagey person, the person who has it together, the thoughtful, shrewd, analytical person, he says, overlooks an insult. Now, here's a little insight into why we get annoyed. It's because somebody... uh, Annoys us by insulting us, or uh, taking away something we want very much, frustrating us in some way, and he says that the fool blows up. The fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Now turn over a few pages to Proverbs nineteen eleven. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A man's wisdom, again, the man who is subject to God and who is wise, has patience. It is to his glory, uh, the, it, this is the Hebrew word for beauty, it makes him beautiful when he overlooks an insult. Now, it sounds drab and kind of non-assertive to be insulted and overlook it, but that's what the wise man is saying. It is very manly, he's saying. It's a womanly thing to do, uh, to overlook an insult. You don't have to retaliate, you don't have to answer back. A wise man will will overlook it. He won't blow like the fool does. Now, one thing this teaches us is that anger is sin. Because he does not say it's the simpleton, the naive person who gets annoyed when he's insulted. He's a fool, see? That's the man with the moral problem. Anger is a sin. Now, I think one step in solving the problem of a short fuse is acknowledging that anger is sin. The problem is we tend to overlook it. We tend to defend it. We justify it. Say, oh, well, I'm Irish. Or I'm Latin. Or uh, I was annoyed uh, beyond uh, limits. And we justify it. But uh, we can never justify that kind of anger. A fool blows up at once, so it's sin. You see, it's sin. Now, the reason it's sin is because it's an unmanly thing to do. It's less womanly than a woman should be. It detracts from what we are as men and women because that's what sin is. You know, sin is not a, it's something arbitrary that God decided to take away from us because it might be fun or pleasurable. He didn't make up a list of things that he decided were off-limits for us. He has placed off-limits those things that make us less of a man and a woman. It is a glorious thing, he says, to be patient when you're insulted. It, you disglorify yourself. You dishonor yourself when you blow up. And he says it's sin. Now, that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Will you turn there with me, please? Ephesians 4, 29. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The word for unwholesome is a very strong word. It really means something is decaying. Don't say anything rotten, he's saying. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It grieves him when we say hurtful things, heated things to others. Verse thirty one, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice, it's the word for evil. So he puts his finger on it again. Bitterness, rage, anger is a form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you see what he's saying? Anger is sin. Now, that's the first step, I believe, in learning to control our anger. It's it's recognizing sin, uh, anger for what it is. It's sinful. It's wrong. It's unmanly. It's unwomanly. We can't justify it. We can't defend it. It's wrong. That's number one. Now, let's go back to the Proverbs again, to uh, Proverbs 14, uh, verse 17. Solomon is fond of uh, linking together Proverbs that have similar content, and that's what he's done here in Proverbs uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He's uh, describing different ways to be a fool. Verse 15, a simple man, that's our word petty, the naive, untutored man, believes anything. He's gullible. He has no principles to operate on. You can con him into anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps wise man is shrewd he thinks he's thoughtful Uh, so one way to be a fool is to be gullible verse 16 a wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil but a fool is hot headed and and reckless now the word for hot headed means to get carried away he's not talking about temper here he's talking about someone who's impulsive so a wise man shuns evil an impulsive man uh, charges ahead he goes where angels fear to tread a quick-tempered man, verse 17, makes a fool of himself, and a crafty man is hated. He's contrasting here someone who does evil in cold-calculating ways and someone who does evil simply because he doesn't, he can't control himself. The impetuous man does evil, and uh, he makes a fool of himself. Uh, here's another man who is cold and calculating, uh, designing, scheming, and is evil, and he is hated. I think what he's saying is the crafty man is hated by others. The quick-tempered man who does foolish things comes to hate himself because he does such ridiculous things. He loses all sense of reason. Uh, Right across the page, at least it's across the page in my Bible, in verse 29, there's a parallel proverb, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man Displays and, and the word means publicly displays folly. The uh, patient man sees calmly; he sees clearly; he, he can think things through. The quick-tempered man uh, makes a fool of himself. Uh, you ever done that? Said things that that made you feel very foolish and very guilty afterward. Uh, you know, it's amazing what we can do. I have a friend down in Southern California, he's a Christian businessman, elder in a church down there, just a great guy, has a great marriage, lost his temper at his wife one night at a restaurant, picked up a bowl of spaghetti and dumped the whole thing right on top of her head. One of the nicest restaurants in Newport Beach, squash, right on top of her head. We were, uh, some friends of ours, and Carolyn and I, we were swapping tails on some of the things we've done in our... Uh, uh, marital uh, struggles and discord, and uh, he was telling me that his wife got really mad at him, and they were back in the bedroom arguing, so the kids couldn't hear them. And she finally just lost her temper, and she said, "All right," she said, "All right, I'm not going to do anything for you anymore." She said, "She said the only thing I'll do is is iron your food and cook your clothes." She said, <laughs> So when you lose your temper, you don't think very clearly, you say irrational things. But, you see, the wise man is talking about more than saying stupid things. Because, again, the word that he uses for foolishness is a word that means to sin. Because losing your temper leads you into deeper sin. You make a big fool out of yourself. That's the point. And uh, to corroborate that, if you go on to uh, chapter 29, verse 22... The wise man says an angry man stirs up dissensions. dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. And the word that he uses here for sins. There are a half dozen or so words for sin in the Old Testament. This is the word pasha. Stress is guilt. You do things that make you feel guilty afterward. And we've all had that experience of saying way too much when you're angry or doing something in violence because you're so, so angry. Uh, most... Uh, most law enforcement people agree that uh, murder is, is seldom a calculated thing. It's almost always a crime of passion. People lose their temper and strike out in rage and, and kill someone. Jesus said that could happen. James said it could happen in James 4. You covet, you don't don't get, and so you kill someone. That's the way it happens. And it can lead you into terrible sin, things that you never intended to do. And, and all of us can can vouch for that. We have said things and done things in our anger which we have regretted forever after. Uh, Moses, as you know, is a prime example in the Old Testament of someone who lost his temper and committed a grave sin. He got angry at the people and he struck the rock and it kept him from going into the land. Just that one act of anger. So the point that the proverb is making is that, first of all, we must take uh, take anger very seriously because it's sin and it will rob us Of our manliness, and secondly, we must take it very seriously because of the damage it can ultimately do. It can destroy a relationship, or even a life. It can separate children from their parents. It can separate husband from wife, or in-laws from their from their children. Now he expands on this uh, this notion a bit more. Turn back to uh, Proverbs fifteen: A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man. Calm's a quarrel. Uh, I think what he's saying here is that quarrels do not depend upon subject matter. There are not some topics that are potentially uh, uh, destructive of, of personal relationships. We're often warned not to talk about religion or politics because those are particularly volatile subjects, but I don't think that's the problem. The problem is not the content of our discussions, it's the manner in which we engage in those discussions. It's not the content, it's people that cause quarrel in another place. He says only by pride comes contention. Someone is standing on his own right, someone is thinking selfishly, self-centeredly. That's what creates dissension. And here it's the hot-tempered man who stirs up, uh, up dissension. But a patient man calms the quarrel. And by way of contrast, if you turn back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And the word for wrath here is the word for heat, heated anger. Someone who's really steamed up, but a, uh, a harsh word, a cutting word, stirs up anger. So you can allay a person's wrath by responding with gentleness. Uh, a soft answer is, is the word. A soft answer will turn away wrath. But a harsh word will stir up anger. And then if you turn on to uh, uh, 25, 20, 25, 15, to further expand upon this idea uh, of a gentle answer allaying someone's anger, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. bone is very hard surface, hard material broken by A very soft thing, a soft answer, a gentle answer. We have a good example of that in the Old Testament in the story of Abraham and Lot. Uh, Abraham owned the land. It was, the land of Canaan was his by right of inheritance. God had given him the title deed to the entire land. When he came out of Egypt, he had uh, large flocks, herds, so did Lot, his uh, kinsman. And the two, the herdsmen of Lot, the herdsmen of Abraham, got into a squabble over whose whose animals could graze on what portions of the land. And uh, Abraham, in order to solve the problem, got Lot together with his kinsmen up on top of a a promontory where he could look over the land, and he said, Okay, you choose. If you take the left, I'll take the right. If you take the right, I'll take the left. Lot chose the grassy plains of Sodom, and they separated their herds. Abraham took what was left, and as you know, that was the beginning of the end for Lot and Abraham eventually got the whole land. He let God choose for him and God gave him the best. But the point of that whole story is that Abraham by his by his gracious manner, his gentle manner was able to put down this feud that was that was developing. Now that's the point that the proverb is making. Anger can lead you into greater sin, and anger can be devastating in terms of the relationships that you presently have, your wife, your children, your friends. So it's a very, very serious thing. Anger can make a fool of you. Anger can make an even bigger fool of you. Now, uh, turn to Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four, And uh, we begin to work toward a solution here to the problem. 22, 24, and 25, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn, or you may adopt his ways and get yourself ensnared. Most people are agreed that, uh, that anger is a, uh, is a learned response. If you have been in a family where people control their anger, you probably do a better job of controlling it than those who live in an environment where anger was not controlled. If they saw people coping with frustration through anger, they tend to pick that up. It's a learned response. Now, this proverb says it's it's a good thing to associate with people who don't react in anger. Because if you're hanging out with angry people, you will probably become an angry person. That's the point that he's making. So that it's a good thing to associate with those who have learned to cope with their anger, who will soften you and teach you to be gentle and to, how to respond in the proper way when you're frustrated. And again, uh, to draw on an Old Testament uh, illustration, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of David and Abigail. If you know anything about David, he was a very violent man. He had a very short fuse. And it was inclined to blow at the most inappropriate times. That's what got him into trouble over and over again. And there's one story about uh, a time in his life when he was in flight from Saul. A number of uh, of men, 400 or so, gathered around David. They're described as those that were in debt, those that were discontented. Uh, they gathered around David and and protected him during that time when he was in flight. They were a bunch of bandits. I mean, we need to face facts. They were a bunch of very violent men. They were revolutionaries. They were living out in the, in the, in the desert and fending for themselves by raiding the, uh, the Philistines. And they were a bunch of tough little Turks. And they were all gathered around, around David, his group of men. Well, they, they were very protective of fellow Israelites. And there was one Israelite by the name of Nabal who was married to Abigail. And Nabal has is, is got to be a nickname because it means fool in Hebrew, and I can't imagine that any mother would saddle her child with a name like that. So it must be a nickname. But he was married to this uh, lovely, beautiful, intelligent woman, Abigail. And as she put it later, his name is, well describes the man. He was a fool. David had been very protective of Nabal and his herds. When bandits would try to steal from his sheep, he would uh, he'd, he'd protect them at night. So he thought that Nabal owed him something. So he went, He sent ten of his men down to get provisions. They were running out of food. They were living from hand to mouth. They, most of the Judeans were, were helping them survive in the desert by providing food. So they went to Nabal to ask for some, something to eat. Nabal turned him down. He said, there are a lot of people running away from Saul these days. Who are you? You're just a bandit. Who is this son of Jesse? And David just went into a towering rage. He said to his men, strap on your swords. We're going to go bust some heads. And and they started off after Nabal. And were it not for Abigail, he would have have killed Nabal and a number of innocent men who were associated with him. He completely lost his temper. And as you know the story, Abigail stopped him on the way. And she had food for him and for his men. And she said, David, don't do this. Don't do it. It's wrong. This will be on your conscience for the rest of your life. Don't do it. And she softened him and blunted his temper and kept him from doing something that would have marked him for the rest of his life and as, as you may know when she told Nabal what she had done, the man had a heart attack and, and died and uh, that was the way that he was disposed of and uh, David in thinking about this thought well I need a wife like that and after the appropriate morning time, she became his wife and there are some indications, particularly in the names that he gave to some of his children, Chiliab for one, which means self-restraint, that she was a, was a self-restraining, she was a restraining, had a restraining effect upon him. She taught him self-control and self, uh, and constraint because of, of her own self-control, you see. Now, I think that's what this proverb is, is, is saying. Stay away from angry people because it tends to stir up our anger. We tend to react in the same way and associate with people that have learned to to control themselves. Now, one more, and uh, our time is almost gone. 1632. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And then in 2911, a fool. And there's our word, uh, evil, the despiser. A fool gives full vent to his anger. Hebrews says it in the picturesque way that they have putting things. A fool lets all of his air out at once. But a wise man... Now, my translation says keeps himself under control. The text actually reads, he calms it in the background. It's interesting. It's uh, difficult to translate, but it's very clear what he's saying. The, The... the fool just blows. He lets all of his air out at once. All the spirit goes out of him, is the way he puts it. All the wind goes out. He just blows sky high. But the wise man checks it back, is the idea. I think what he's saying is that we really cannot do anything about the initial impulse to get angry. That comes from being frustrated and thwarted. And Some people have a shorter fuse than others. I have found that I've never been able to do anything about the initial flash of anger I was sitting in a meeting the other day and one of the guys said something that really made me angry and he told me later he saw my eyes flash from clear across the room and the hair on the back of my neck stood up that's all I can stand up (laughs) and I've never been able to do anything about that you cannot check that initial urge to say something or do something but this proverb says the wise man checks it back you can stop it now we're not talking about repression uh, we're not talking about stuffing it. We're saying you don't have to express it. You, know, you don't have to give vent to your anger. For a while there was one school of thinking the best way to handle anger is just, you know, you've got to get rid of it. You can't repress it because if you do, you'll develop all kinds of physical symptoms and so you need to just get angry. But now they're discovering that the angrier you get when you express it, uh, the more prone you are to get angry the next time around. And venting anger gives birth to more anger. There is a way to check it. And I think it's right here in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 11. A fool lets his air go out. He gets full vent to his anger. But a wise man checks it. The wise man is the man who's subject to God. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. The wise man and woman is the man or woman who is subject to God. Now, I'm convinced that God is the only one that can control our tempers. I don't know about you, but I've had no success at counting to ten or any of the other uh, methods that are suggested. I count to ten and then I blow. <laughs> the only thing I know to do is to follow the the, the scheme that I've tried to present this morning. First of all, to take a look at our anger and admit that it is sin. It's what that's what God calls it. We can't justify it. We can't defend it. We have no grounds for it from a Christian standpoint. It is sin, pure and simple. So we need to call it sin. That's hard to do. You know, it's hard for all of us. And uh, many of you are thinking, well, you know, I. Goodness, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a swindler, I don't embezzle funds, so I'm doing well. But this passage reminds us that if we have anger in our hearts and it's undealt with, that it's just as serious as sin. Because God doesn't grade sin. Sin is sin. And if we're an angry person, and maybe we can check it at the office, but we go home, and it's where we're safe, and we take out our anger on our children and on our wives or on our husbands, it's sin. And it needs to be reckoned as such and faced. It's sin. It's it's characteristic of a fool. And the second thing we need to realize is that it's serious. Because it can lead us into all kinds of tomfoolery. Not only foolish things that we do, but it can lead to deeper and greater sin. And it can impair the relationship that we have with, with people around us. And the third thing to realize is that only God can control it and simply submit it to him. Say, Lord, I cannot control this thing. You're going to have to do it. Now, there is no magic in the Christian life. God is not going to change you tomorrow. I I find, uh, I think that I'm getting this thing in hand, and then I, I forget. And I blow, and I say some things I shouldn't say, and I have to go back and tell people I'm sorry. But that's all right. I'm not glossing over the seriousness of it. It is still sin and needs to be repented of and and we need to claim forgiveness for us. But you know, God is not overly concerned about these failures in our life, nor should we be overly concerned about the failures in other people's life. If somebody in your life is trying to conquer anger, and occasionally they revert and they react in an angry way, that's all right. We can be forgiving and understanding. What God is looking for and what we ought to be looking for in our own lives is some progress. Are we letting God get a grip on our life, and are we, are we permitting him the opportunity to control us? Now, if we're really wise, you see, he says, we can restrain it. And God will increasingly give you the power to control your anger. Don't worry about the failure. There will be progress. Or as Paul puts it in Galatians 5, self-control is one of the fruits. Uh, Fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. It comes from him. It's the product of his life in us. It's not the result of gritting our teeth and determining that we're not going to shout again and lose our temper. It's a matter of submitting to him, drawing upon him, calling upon him. In moments when you feel yourself uh, about to to speak in anger, to call on his name inwardly in the sanctuary of your spirit and rely upon him to begin to change you. And I'm convinced that he will. Paul says that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it. He'll begin to deal with your anger. He'll give you restraint, perhaps not perfectly, until we see the Lord. But you'll see progress. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to know that there is a way to, uh, to deal with our anger. We don't have to live with it. We don't have to be embarrassed by it. We don't have to cover it up. We know that it's a widespread and pervasive problem, not only in our own lives, uh, life, but in the, the lives of our friends. And uh, it's something that you want to deal with. And we thank you that by your power, we can be self-controlled men and women. And so we ask you uh, to... to Give us the restraint and the control that we need. Teach us increasingly to call upon you in times of pressure and stress. Help us to uh, ask of you when our needs and our desires are frustrated. Help us to humble ourselves under your hand so that you can exalt us in due time. And we look forward, Lord, to uh, a progressive liberation as you work in us to produce... Uh, your desire. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.